You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. In 1966, the city of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, was terrorized by a mysterious creature. It was an armless, winged, man-sized monster with reflective red eyes that soared through the night skies chasing fearful locals. For a year, people sighted the creature off and on until a tragedy the collapse of the Silver Bridge, ended the sightings. Some said that the creature foretold the tragic bridge collapse, a disaster which killed 46 people just before Christmas in 1967. In the following years, books, and eventually even a movie, collected details into a narrative that contained extra-dimensional beings, prophecy, and coincidence, all tied together by a creature known as the Mothman. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters, sponsored by Skeptic Magazine. I'm Blake Smith, and together with Ben Radford and Dr. Karen Stolzno, we take a skeptical look at all manner of monsters and monstrous claims. Karen was away on assignment and unable to participate in this episode, but we'll be returning next week. Mothman. I first read about Mothman in the works of paranormalist author John Keel. At least two of Keel's books, The Mothman Prophecies and Strange Creatures from Time and Space, had beautiful cover art from Frank Frazetta, one of my favorite artists. John Keel died last year in July, and Frank Frazetta died on May 10th of this year. Lauren Coleman, noted cryptozoologist, mentions these deaths in association with a collection of names he keeps called the Mothman Death List. Though 40-plus years on, deaths like these seem less mysterious than inevitable. A link to Lauren's list will be in the show notes, and you can look at it and draw your own conclusions. What's interesting about the Mothman case is how it has evolved. What started as a straight-up monster story has become an almost new-age tale of a creature from beyond our dimension with mysterious powers. The movie version, perhaps for reasons of trying to cram a narrative into a somewhat disjointed tale, described the Mothman as a kind of extra-dimensional being either attracted to 
or trying to warn humans of tragic events that comprise many deaths. Many people panned that film, but I thought it did an effective job of presenting a kind of cosmic horror story in which we're better off not coming into contact with such alien intelligence. It's an entertaining idea, this powerful, all-knowing entity. Ironically, skeptical investigator Joe Nickel investigated and discovered that the reality behind the Mothman revealed a creature indeed known for its inhuman wisdom and for its ability to determine how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop. Monster Dog. Today we're talking with Center for Skeptical Inquiry Senior Investigator Dr. Joe Nickel. Joe's the author of Adventures in Paranormal Investigation, Looking for a Miracle, Real or Fake, and many other books that anyone interested in paranormal mysteries or historical investigations would love, also including Lake Monster Mysteries, which he co-wrote with our regular host, Ben Radford. Uh, Joe, you've been with Psychop for a, a long time. Yes, many, many, many years. Since uh, full time, since uh, 1995. Excellent. So we're, uh, you've done numerous investigations, and many of them are pertinent to the topics that we would cover on Monster Talk. Today, I want to talk to you about a couple of cases if we have time. So maybe we should just focus on one to begin with. Okay. The uh, Mothman story, it's a case that has been made into a movie. It's been dealt with on numerous mystery television shows. What's your involvement with the Mothman case? Well, I, I simply uh, got interested in, in uh, first with the antecedent of Mothman, which was the Flatwoods Monster back in 19, of 1952. And I went down to West Virginia and investigated the Flatwoods Monster. And uh, later, Mothman became a, made into a movie, and I decided that uh, that territory was uh, familiar to me, and and I looked into Mothman, and I, I decided that Mothman sounded just an awful lot like the Flatwoods Monster, which I had, had rather laboriously compared to the uh, West Virginia Barn Owl. And I believe that what the boys saw at Flatwoods was uh, almost certainly a, a barn owl. Now, there are a number of identifying characteristics. So when I, when I hear of Mothman, uh, appearing in Point Pleasant in uh, 1966 and uh, sounding rather like the Flatwoods Monster, I wrote an article suggesting the same and then later was able to go down there and do a more extensive investigation and I had to, one of those times that you just have to admit you were wrong. I decided that uh, Mothman was not a barn owl but almost certainly a barred owl. Uh, some people would say, well, six of one and half a dozen of the others. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the fuss over two owls that are very, very much alike? And, uh, but the eye shine did it for me. The, uh, the uh, initial sighting on November 15, 1966, with Linda Scarberry and others, um, they described a winged creature uh, basically with no head or neck, just just sort of uh, uh, eyes set at the top of a winged body and eyes that were, and, and this is very important, um, TV reports and others often refer to Flatwoods and Mothman as, as having glowing eyes. Uh, they had no such thing. They had shining eyes responding to lights, and Linda uh, Scarberry made that very clear that they were only shining 
in response to the car's headlights. But they were described as being like bicycle reflectors. And that feature, that crimson eye shine, is characteristic of the barred owl. And further research showed me that barred owls were plentiful in the area of the sighting, which was the old TNT area. It's an old uh, munitions, uh, World War II munitions area. And it's since become the McClintic Wildlife Preserve and was, in fact, uh, among other things, a bird sanctuary uh, with lots of barred owls. So how did the whole Mothman story turn into such a such a production with the TV uh, and I mean not the TV but the film and everything? Well, this is the way it goes. You 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 have some little incident and uh and then some journalist gets a hold of it and uh, exaggerates it and makes it into a story and pretty soon uh, uh the power suggestion seems to take over and other people May may have an encounter. The Mothman flap lasted for about a year, and we don't know that people were seeing the same thing. And there, in fact, one guy shot. I don't know if this, how well known this is. One guy shot and killed Mothman. Mothman was killed. Mothman is dead. Breaking Mothman, news on Monster well, Talk. But but long live Mothman. Uh, Mothman is yeah. invincible. Uh, maybe we should say Mothman. Um, this one Mothman, when after he was killed, morphed into a, a type of snowy owl. So, <laughs> so uh, there may be uh, more than one type of Mothman, and uh, and who knows, they may not all be owls. When I went down to Point Pleasant, and this is what uh, you know, admittedly, I should have done uh, the first time. Obviously, I've made what little career I have for forty years out of out of on-site, hands-on, roll up the shirt sleeves. Uh, type of investigations, and it was uh, not not my finest hour that I wrote about Mothman not having actually gone and investigated. So, so I redeemed myself and went down there and spent time uh, in the area and talked to people and so forth. And there was this common folklore that uh, Mothman was started by some by one guy uh, jumping out, dressed up in a costume, and jumping out and scaring people, and. I had to cut through all that stuff because quite clearly the initial sighting, that is not possible as an explanation for the initial sighting, nor for many of the other sightings. And all of that, there may have been someone jumping out at cars. I don't say there was not. But that all happened later as part of the contagion, part of this bandwagon effect that you get. And in fact, there were different people who were said to be the very person. I mean, this is, you talk about your your folklore and how there are variants of tales. I mean, we even had variant culprits who were the very culprit. And it all got rather silly. But there were, um, in addition to that, there were pranks, people sending up uh, red lights, uh, you know, with uh, helium balloons. And one guy would... um, did spend some time gliding over in an airplane. He would cut his engine off and sort of glide. And uh, there were there were a number of of credible reports of pranks, but this was in the sort of the wake of the initial Mothman flap. So uh, to get back to the to the question, uh, I think that it it takes very little to trigger. A series of reports, what's usually called in, in ufology, is called a flap. 
and by extensions used some in, in uh, I suppose, monsterology. Um, the, a flap being a, a series of events, and usually the flap runs its course, and it, it involves maybe first a particular intense sighting that gets a lot of coverage, then maybe because people are programmed to expect to see something, something with shining eyes, then almost anything with shining eyes in the Point Pleasant area could be thought of, particularly if it had wings, <laughs> particularly if it were owl-like, could be thought of as Mothman. So you so you have multiple sightings, and then you have people who maybe are convinced that the other reports are not credible or in any way need making fun of, and they go out and have a good old time. And so you get a whole bunch of things happening. What I what I'm pretty convinced of is that um, uh, Mothman is a re, is a creature of the real and the natural world, and uh, this planet. So not a dragon right. or anything. I think not. You know, it's very it's very <laughs> difficult to prove a negative. Uh, one one other to... thing, one other thing that might be interesting to mention along the lines of Mothman that I've just recently done, uh, because I I studied um, among my many careers and uh, and checkered past, I studied iconography under Guy Davenport in uh, at the University of Kentucky in in work graduate school, work on my PhD in English literature. And I have used iconography for a number of investigations, um, the Shroud of Turin and uh, uh, the, the evolution of the image of Christ in art as it's shown to culminate in the Shroud of Turin, suggesting the Shroud of Turin is not a real, the real burial cloth of Jesus, but the work of an artist of about the 14th century. Uh, I've done an alien timeline that showed how creatures, and my alien timeline does include uh, Flatwoods Monster and Mothman, how they... That's one of, I just want to say I love that piece of art. That's a beautiful piece. Well, thank you. And and it's been misunderstood by some people who think that it's intended somehow to prove that this came before this and this and that and so forth. It, of course, iconography can never be... You can never be sure in, in most cases whether you've gotten every image that was ever seen. They're not actually linear in their effect entirely but but they but the alien timeline's a way of illustrating something that you you know by just reflecting and going back and looking and you see how the alien image has changed over time and even if there might be an earlier one of a particular type um still the basic the basic evolution is there and so the timeline shows how we start out with all these different types of little green men and and um, Venusian creatures bathed in light who look like us and, and hairy dwarfs and goblins and blobs and so forth. And then you get the little big-eyed, big-headed humanoid of Betty and Barney Hill. And, um, and eventually you get still others, Mothman and others and so forth. But this little big-eyed, big-headed humanoid comes back and back and back until finally – He's sort of the official alien that you see in all the toy stores. And you could do a different alien timeline and select some different images and so forth, but you'd still clearly get to the same place. And it's, it's, it's an illustration, not a proof so much. It's an illustration of that process. So, well, I, I just recently did something like that with, um, with Mothman, not as a drawing, but more... Uh, just descriptive, but it's interesting that the 
the original Mothman looks just exactly like a barred owl. I think it's a coincidence. Well, it could be. You know, that's a that's a you know absolutely that could be. It looks it looks like a bardell, except for its its larger size. And so I've taken a lot of you know uh, flack and sometimes in good humor from cryptozoologists, um, you know, who who um, say that uh, it, it isn't it a coincidence that there's a species of gigantic owl. You know, uh, at, at Point Pleasant. But my my point is that that well, then they admit that of all the creatures on the planet Earth, and again now I'm talking about the original Mothman. Of all the creatures on Earth, Mothman look more like a barred owl. I, I think I'd just challenge anybody to come up with a better lookalike. I, I wait for them to do it. Than than the barred owl, and 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 the only difference really is. The height, the Mothman was considerably bigger. And so I asked these people, which is more likely, that people seeing something at night with no frame of reference and being scared and seeing it only briefly, how, how, how likely is it that they might be mistaken as to size versus that a hitherto unknown creature, perhaps from another planet, has come once to the planet Earth? And, and, and there we have to sort of believe that. But I've, I've been noticing how that version of Mothman has begun to take on a life of its own. And for example, Mothman sprouted arms. There comes hmm. a time there comes a time at which Mothman sported arms. And and other features you can you can see it more if I, tra- I trace this in, in a piece I'm working on and it's some you know you can trace several different steps and phases of the iconography of Mothman. It is evolving. It begins to take on eyes that are no longer round and and uh, looking like bicycle reflectors, but eyes that are shaped like the eyes of, of an alien, those sort of wraparound eyes. Coincidentally, I'm actually wearing uh, a Mothman shirt um, that one of our listeners sent me. Um, Tanya Kaiser. Hey, Tanya. Uh, <laughs> and it's got, it's a beautiful shirt, and I love the artwork, but the artwork shows exactly that. It shows a mothman with bat-like wings, arms, yes. and legs, and yep. it has a, an alien, uh, modern alien-style head with almond eyes, which... And, and maybe, know. is there any kind of a reptilian look at all in the head? Well, it's it's a black and white line drawing. Oh, doesn't um, have any so, kind of crest on the top of the head or anything. This one, this one doesn't, but uh, it does have claws and. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so you're getting you're getting an you know we could maybe not very accurately, but we could look at your T-shirt and and sort of date it. You know, if it were if it, if this image were just shuffled among some others. You know, and we said sometime this sometime between nineteen sixty six and yesterday this this image was made, we could date it we wouldn't date it very close to nineteen sixty six and we could date it after this and maybe after something else and so forth and, and it's 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 still being it's still evolving, and so I think that's a very useful investigative strategy is to is to use iconography to show that these these uh, images take on a, a cultural aspect 
and that people begin to uh, modify it and to associate it with other things and let it evolve. And artists, of course, are, are helping this along, but it's, it's uh, in flux to such an extent that in, in recent years, Linda Scarberry herself has, has actually said that she saw uh, the muscles in, the, in Mothman's arms. And I've got her original account, and she specifically says there were no arms. She specifically says that there were none. And it's just, uh, it would be astonishing, except, of course, we just, all of us know this all too well, how memory is fallible and it recreates all the time and and uh, so forth. But that's why when you're investigating cases, it's, it's good to go back and see what the original earliest accounts said. And when you do that, uh, the Flatwoods Monster, um, for example, uh, the description is pretty impressive how much, on several profound features, how much it, it looks like a barn owl. Uh, the eye shine, the terrible claws, the sort of face shape or head shape like the ace of spades, that sort of thing. Just, you know, it's high-pitched hissing, scream-like sound and so on. It just, you can fairly specifically uh, indicate the the barn owl, and yet over time that creature's evolved so that the recent Monster Quest episode has has an evolved creature. They don't spend a lot of time on the imagery at the beginning, and then they admit things have changed, but uh, they, they can rationalize that. And they, they end up with a sort of a reptilian a reptilian type of creature that's um, you know, very, very different from the original. Yeah, can we talk about that for a minute? I thought that was very odd. Even, I mean, if, if one just assumed... That that alien uh, invasions were real. Yeah, I, I still think there's a flaw in their logic there because they 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 seem to be conflating the gray alien with the reptilian alien, and even though I think both of those are are, are folkloric uh, manifestations more likely than actual creatures from outer space, um, they're different, and and even people in the field should recognize they're different. It seemed like a big mistake to bring in. Um, was it Lloyd Pye's Star Child, and try to talk about that in conjunction with this reptilian creature that they were describing? When well, neither of them, yeah, I mean, just it, <laughs> it, it, it was like mixing up Superman and the Thing. I don't, it didn't make well, any exactly, sense. Well, exactly, exactly. But but uh, as someone who's been on the inside of some of these productions, um, maybe I should say, unfortunately, been on the inside of some of these productions. I know that they were, you know, they were working on Flatwoods and Mothman, and and there were two different production companies working on them, and and uh, the Mothman crew got me first, and much to the chagrin of the of the person who was in charge of the Flatwoods monster. So so they knew they knew early on that we were going to be featuring the barred owl, and we were going to do, be doing owl experiments. You were going to see, you know, owls on our program and so forth. And I think they they felt the need to go in a kind of a different direction, and they, they were we were literally cutting out a lot of the material they might have used uh, for Flatwoods Monster. And we took it all. 
we brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. So they, they, one of the policies that uh, Monster Quest had was that they basically tried to avoid extraterrestrials. They weren't interested in UFOs and extraterrestrials at all. And uh, so they sort of reluctantly kind of felt they had to kind of bring in the Stanton Friedman or something. And well, this was like, how do we make a program that doesn't sound like some kind of repetition of Mothman? And yeah. and my point was that um, you could link it to Mothman unashamedly and say, as, as you know, Lauren Coleman said that uh, he saw in the Flatwoods case, and he and I are on the same page with this, elements foreshadowing, he said, Mothman. So much so that I, you know, I thought Mothman was a Barnell and not a Bardell, a huge distinction. I hope you'll never let me forget I would have just embraced the similarity and linked them in the other show, but I guess they wanted to go in a different direction. And then they, you know, you have to have some kind of experiment for the Monster Quest shows and so forth. And so I think they felt the need to play me down. I was already on board, but I I didn't get as much play. And that program had did not allow me to analyze. Um, the sighting by Freddie May and the others, the original Flatwoods monster sighting, uh, they that was left on the cutting room floor, just le- just absolutely left out. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I had a I have a drawing that I think is very convincing, and um, they just left that out, and they let me say some things about panic and so forth that they could use to their advantage but not anything that might be, you know, really uh, devastating to any thesis they might have. Now you definitely <laughs> got fairer treatment in the uh, Mothman episode. A- absolutely, absolutely, I did. And, and part of that was, I think, the fact that they didn't want Fatwood's monster to look like Mothman 2. Uh, they were trying to make it, make it more different. But there is an amusing little anecdote that I'll, I'll tell you about, um, about uh, Monster Quest. I was on yet another Monster Quest show. Uh, I'll just speak vaguely so I don't get anyone too much into trouble. But uh, 
a producer of a segment after we had shot for a day and we were in a bar having some, you know, some food and, and I wasn't drinking, uh, you know, a, a whole lot. I know, I know what they say, but I, I wasn't drinking that much. And, um, he was. He said, uh, "Well, let me tell you about you know about uh, your you know your participation." He said uh, when they started talking about doing this segment, doing this particular show, he said he asked the big guy of the series. He said, uh, "Can I have Joe Nickel?" And the response was, "Well, yes, but this time let's hope he's not too convincing." Just, just astonishing commentary. You're doing your job I, I too well, it. there, Joe. Well, I'm, I was I was really flattered by the comment, and and I think he meant to share it in that regard. But of course, it's it's also a rather sad commentary on how these shows um, leave stuff on the cutting room floor. And um, I mean, even I had a rocky career with. Um, Unsolved Mysteries, I was on some shows. I helped them get people for some shows. One time they hung up on me when I I said a bad word. Uh, you know, when I talked to a producer and I used a bad word. Uh, ethics. Oh, no. I upset them. <laughs> it upset them, and she hung up on me. Uh, but one time I was chastising a, a producer, and they had they had uh, done a show, and, and, and I knew that the skeptic I had recommended that they get James McGahey, Major James McGahey, had had really, you know, pretty well solved her <laughs> solved her mystery for. Him. And I said, you know, you can't just leave leave stuff out. That's just not honest. And it's amazing the response I got. She said, "Well, Doctor Nickel, the name of our show is Unsolved." mysteries see you're missing the point of the show if you if you want them uh, yeah like like geez don't 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 you get it you're supposed to be smart uh don't don't you get it uh our show's name for heaven's sakes unsolved mysteries we don't need wise guys like you coming along and solving things for us another time they they wanted me to go check out this psychic named ronnie marcus and Ronnie Marcus was doing some shtick, rather like Ray Geller, you know, stopping watches and bending cutlery with his brain waves, that sort of stuff. I could see where I thought this might be going. And they wanted me to go to Louisville, Kentucky, and check out this this Ronnie Marcus. And I said, okay. I said, uh, uh, suppose she said, and we're hoping that you know this sounds this is not a Ray Geller, and we're hoping that this this is fantastic and so forth. And I said, well, just. You know, just suppose with me for the moment that I catch him cheating. And she said, well, I hope not, or something like that. I said, well, but but suppose I do. Suppose I catch him cheating. And she said, well, then we wouldn't have a show. And I said, well, let let me see if I've got this correct. Now, if I go there and I'm incompetent... And I can't find the cheating, and, and I'm amazed and mystified. You'd like to put me on, so I look stupid. But if I'm smart enough to catch a trickster, I've just shot myself in both feet, and I'm not going to be on your show. This is why they would occasionally hang up on me. I guess I was probably being impertinent. 
Well, let me, ask, let me ask on the Mothman case. Now, it, to your mind, is this more of a historical mystery that is something that just happened back then, or are there are still Mothman sightings these days? Well, this the, the the TV shows like to try to you know bring together, and even the Mothman show, which I thought was a whole lot better than the Flatwoods one for Monster Quest, uh, you know, was was a lot more honest, but. They, you can, you can find if you cast about, you can find, uh, you know, here and there. They had a couple more cases of somebody seeing some kind of large-winged creature, and trying to yoke that, and you know, and put it together as Mothman. Uh, and these, a couple of these were in recent years, but it's pretty thin stew. I mean, uh, to me, Mothman is a particular. Flap that happened in in 1966-67 in and around Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and that's a particular thing that we can track. We can say what the initial Mothman image looked like. We can watch that evolve and morph and 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 move into prank lore and, and joke lore and folklore and so forth. But I, I don't think that meaningfully there are Mothmen elsewhere. I think those other cases, very few ought to just be looked at on their own merits and, and not try. Because once you, once you start trying to yoke these together, and this happened on the Flatwoods program, uh, you start, this helps you get hybrid creatures that are, that are, um, no longer look like the original. You know, this, the, you, you, you have, you have maybe an original case, and you can be fairly clear about what the first descriptor said the first the first day, and identify perhaps as a barn owl or a barred owl. But then it starts somebody else saw something, and it was a little different, and so now people can pick and choose. And once you've got a handful of these sightings, you can pick a few elements from this and a few elements from that, and you can watch them doing that on some of these shows. You can see how these these creatures are are changing because somebody's wanting to continue to use the word mothman say to describe something that really ought to just be looked at as you know a creature if we're, if we're looking at a california case we ought to just look at it for what it is and not rush to to subsume it under the rubric of um, of mothman a lot of that um, in uh, like the transmogrification, I guess, of of the chupacabra from a, a spiked alien into a, a mangy dog, or um, the, so any case or vice that comes versa, up, or, or vice versa. <laughs> I know you've investigated a lot of uh, I don't want to call them one-offs, but unique monsters that become famous for an area, like the the folk monster, the Point Pleasant creature. Um, yep. The Honey Island creature. What what's the effect of these kinds of uh, monsters on these small towns where they appear? What how what, obviously within cryptozoology these places become famous. But like I had someone uh, Jeff Wag, in fact, from the JREF went through Folk Arkansas and picked me up a T-shirt. Yeah, I love yep. my and and he said there's just not much going on in Folk Arkansas anymore. No, uh, these these things are. I've been to several towns. They they end up um, uh, 
the the initial initial incident happens then there's some some uh there's a maybe a flap briefly and then the incidents usually fade into obscurity for a few years kind of like a dormant virus and then at some point particularly when some of the residents have become elderly they somebody comes out with a book i mean there's a pattern not unlike this in several places and and it gets uh, you know hyped again uh, roswell the roswell crash or um Mothman, or any of any of a number of these, the uh, Kelly, Kentucky, Little Green Men flap, and and eventually some enterprising person decides that they should have a festival. <laughs> and, Why not? You know, there, there, yeah, there have been a number of monster festivals, uh, both Lake Monster and 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 uh, UFO and so forth. Uh, I was given the um, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, which is the big city near the Kelly uh, incident. Uh, mayor gave me the key to the city, and uh, it was a sad day when I found out that that really didn't get me into anybody's liquor cabinet. You know, but but it was but it was a nice festival. It was a nice festival. We had a good time, and these things sort of seem to kind of later end up as as a sort of uh, fun episode of the past, and and uh, but this time the monster has been thoroughly exaggerated. Uh, the elderly people now are telling much more fantastic tales than they ever did before. And uh, you know, somebody if they haven't written a book already is is getting one ready. And uh, the T-shirts are not far behind. And in Point Pleasant, you know, they got a little museum. Yeah, and and a, a I don't know if you're aware that, uh, that Mothman has a a big uh, bright statue right there in downtown Point Pleasant. Yeah, the big metal work statue, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and of course has is is a highly evolved version of Mothman, right? As right. you would appreciate. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but there's there's a kind of process that you can see repeated it might be interesting sometime to do something about that evolution just look at the the process yeah it's something it's something we definitely it comes up again and again on our show um because of the sort of folkloric quality of of the stories the the monsters evolve the stories evolve and i just kind of wanted to talk about how did the towns take it and the, what what's the impact and i think you brought up a good point that the festival is probably the culmination of what happens. It, it is. I mean, uh, it, it, you can find usually. This has been my experience with several of these uh, places um, where I've gotten to know the residents. I have, you know, have friends in Flatwoods. Uh, I could, I could go, you know, right now probably drive down to Flatwoods. You and I could drive down, and well, and and uh, the three of us could drive down. And uh, I could, I could stop at a prominent home there in Flatwoods, and we could make ourselves. At home and have sandwiches and have a good time. Be, be very welcome. Uh, I stop there occasionally and renew my friendship and and so forth. And and you get to know people that are that are skeptical and you get to know people that are believers. And somehow these people often kind of coexist in a little town, you know. And they learn not to feud sort of the same way. Well, one's a Democrat, maybe one's a Republican, and they they have to kind of get along. 
maybe they both go to the same church or something. <laughs> and and they just kind of have this but but you can you can find someone who'll tell you, Oh yeah, well that's absolutely you know, my uncle saw that and he was uh, straight as narrow and you can take that to the bank, buddy. And the other person will say, Well, you know, those those people were, you know, not credible and, and everybody laughed that it was probably just a prank or something and you get another view. But but eventually some enterprising chamber of commerce type decides that they can have a festival. And by which time everybody's encouraged that well, laugh or not, doesn't matter, we're we're gonna have a festival. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna sell T shirts and we're gonna see if we can hype the heck out of this. I tell you, within reason, if they have chili, I'll go to just about any kind of festival. Well, I will, too. <laughs> I, I will, too. And and uh, there are actually pictures of me being abducted at uh, Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Uh, there's actually a picture of me with two big aliens, um, you know, absolutely real. In the carnival in the carnival sense of being real. Right, right. You know, <laughs> uh, real, you know, real costumes and so forth. And uh, they're they're abducting me, and I'm apparently struggling and stuff. But I had a, I had a good time at uh, Hopkinsville, and the, and further, the mayor made his uh, driver and car, me and this guy on the other side, Peter Davenport, the u- ufologist, were both given keys to the city and both uh, given the use of the mayor's car, <laughs> it was a very nice uh, car, and his driver for for the the day, you know the the. We had we had a day before the we had to really perform, and he took us all over. You know, I wanted to see the original site and all this stuff, and um, we had a great time. Well, here's my last question. We're, okay. we're trying to ask everybody this, and that is, um, and I'm sorry for not giving you a little preparation, but what's your uh, favorite monster? Oh, my favorite monster. See, it's hard, isn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it is hard, but um, but certainly I, I do feel some affection to the to the Flatwoods monster because I I had such a a good time there, and I I, I thoroughly enjoyed investigating that, and I've I've proposed a a uh, an explanation for it that I think is widely accepted in some circles. As being very very probable explanation, uh, one Audubon Society publication mentioning that I had uh, said it was a a barn owl said to check it out. It was a real scream, and uh, it's um, it, it's it's been rewarding in various ways. As I say, I can go to Flatwoods and and uh, not everybody there wants to kill me. There are people who are friendly and. And uh, and I've and I've given the I've given uh, the Flatwoods monster the name Emmy Lou. Uh, I believe it was a female. And um, because I I, I think uh, this is I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here, pun intended. Uh, but I think that the the barn owl uh, probably would have uh, hearing hearing this barking dog coming and these boys and stuff would have been long gone. Normally, but I think it was a female brooding young, and she stood her ground and was trying to, you know, hover quietly, huddle quietly with her brood. And when they shined a a flashlight at her eyes, um, she took action and she responded. And later, they would not know what hit them, (laughs) but it scared them to death. And they uh, they remember, 
you know, a high-pitched hissing sound and, and uh, sort of swooping and ter- what were Mrs. May called terrible claws. claws. And, and uh, I think indeed, I think, and, and she, she was very effective. She scared them to death and they ran off. And one of the boys was sick that night. And I think I take that as a almost certainly a symptom of hysteria. Astonishing how how much size of uh, can be misjudged when you're shocked or scared. I know even just in my house, uh, well, not specifically in the house I'm in now, but I've, I've been in houses where I've had a rat run at me directly, and it just seemed like a small dog. But you know, yeah, there, there, there's, we need to come up with a we need to come up with a name for this effect. But there is, you know, when you encounter a wild critter. Um, surprises you, and if, it, and if it frightens you a little bit, it's, it it grows in size. It's an interesting effect. It's something about focus. I mean, it's the same thing with the moon on the horizon. It's the same size as it is up in the sky, but your perspective is focused on it. And, and yes, and there actually is a psychological term yeah. for um, um, for that. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting what it is, but I've heard a, a, a term used. It's sort of like. Uh, gun barrel effect or something. Uh, you know, when somebody pulls a gun, oh, right, you, right, people, right. You, you, you know, it's, but, but this is a little different. It's not so much that the gun looks bigger, but it's, they're using it to, to, to indicate that you, you often will give a good description of the barrel of the gun. But totally missed the guy. But you don't know right? whether the guy had a red beard or white hair or, you know. Right, it's about, Catcher's focus. Four feet, eight feet, you know, none of that. But, but, but certainly that's, uh, that's, all of that's an element in, in our perception. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk with us today. Uh, do you have any new books coming out or anything you want to talk about? Uh, that nothing, you want to... uh, nothing this very moment. Um, I last... You definitely have a lot of books our readers would want to look at, so we'll link to some stuff in our show notes for them. Yeah, my last book is called Real or Fake. And um, it's not about the paranormal, but it's about how we determine if various artifacts are genuine and so forth and uh, there's a lot in it for the skeptic excellent yeah well, well thank you very much thank you for having me monster talk today on monster talk you were listening to an interview with csi investigator joe nickel links to some of joe's books will be in the show notes and they're a great addition to any library monster talk is hosted by myself blake smith ben radford the managing editor of skeptical inquirer and Dr. Karen Stolzno, writer, researcher, and host of the Point of Inquiry podcast for CFI. Regular listeners will remember Ben mentioning his book, Scientific Paranormal Investigation, and that book is out now and available at radfordbooks.com. A free excerpt from the book is available for download there. Be sure and check that out as it has a discount code for 20% off the book's cover price. You can find out more about the hosts and what they're up to on our website, monstertalk.org which is hosted by Skeptic Magazine. If you enjoyed Monster Talk, be sure to stop by iTunes and give us a review. The theme song for Monster Talk is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks for listening.
Want to stay abreast of the latest from Skeptic Magazine and the Skeptic Society? Want cutting-edge skeptical articles delivered straight to your inbox every week? Then subscribe to eSkeptic, the free electronic newsletter of the Skeptic Society. Visit Skeptic.com to sign up. Dedication. On May 24, 2010, my grandmother, Irene Guerin, passed away at the very respectable age of 100. When I was a kid, I used to go spend weekend nights at her house, and she let me do things my parents probably wouldn't have allowed. She made me popcorn with real butter. She let me stay up as long as I wanted. She let me watch a show called Monty Python's Flying Circus. She let me spend hours on the telephone trying to help my friend solve a computer game called Zork. She taught me things she had learned growing up in North Georgia mountains, like how to can vegetables and how to sew and fix my own clothes. And she told me stories that captured my imagination of strange animals you won't find in a biology book, like a hoop snake or joint snakes and many other critters that are more folktale than facts. I will always remember her for her resilience, her thrift, her industry, and her stories. She never did get around to getting an iPod to listen to this show, but without my grandmother, there would be no Monster Talk. Thanks again, you beautiful old lady.